everybody. This is Dominic D'Angelo of SEScoops.com and a few other outlets at free shows. I've been co-host of the RVD podcast, one of a kind with RVD. But guess what? It is episode three here today of Gagne and Magnum. And you guys won't believe who I have with me here today. I It is Greg Gagne and Magnum TA. Guys, how are you? The episode three, we're, we're ready to kick off here. Are we really here? We're here. We're here. Third time's a charm. We're going to get it right this time. I know. Maybe this will be the one where we just nail it. We nail the landing. <laughs> we'll see. I mean, we got Mr. Technology, and I think we're learning a lot. Sitting under the learning tree of Greg Gagne and his ability. Yeah, with, uh, I'm technology. getting darker and darker every week. <laughs> All right. You're, soon you're just going to be complete. It's just going to be a blank. Completely dark, and yeah. you'll just hear the voice if, <laughs> if I don't freeze up here. Right. right. Well, cool, guys. Um, when this episode drops, which will be, uh, uh, hey, guys, if you're not aware, too, it's every Tuesday this the new episode drops live on not live on YouTube but on YouTube and also on your podcast feed of choice. So we're on Spotify. We're also on Apple iTunes. So be sure to subscribe. Uh, give us a five star review if you like us and write something up because that helps us out big time. And then if you like what you're hearing, especially on YouTube, like, comment, share, subscribe, um, all that stuff helps with the algorithm. We were just talking about how crazy is this off air how nuts this whole landscape of social media and what have you is so if you can do that that'll help us a lot and uh but yeah guys uh once this episode drops uh we'll be on the royal rumble week uh for wae and i i got just kind of wanted to get your perspective on the concept of royal rumble overall um greg let's start with you in regards to how you feel about the concept and the execution of the match itself but then on top of it what would Vern think about the Royal Rumble match, too? Well, we we used to, uh, here in the AWA, back uh, October was our big month, and we ran all Battle Royals. Mm-hmm. And they were very successful, and we ran from the beginning of October till the end. And then the winners in the different cities got to meet the champion uh, in December or in November. So that was kind of our thing, ready for Thanksgiving, and then... Uh, and then they had the championship match. And then and then when we came to Christmas, we had another big spectacular going on. So it kind of, kind of followed up. And I know the WWE has been very, very successful with the, with the Royal Rumble. It's an interesting concept that they have. And uh, it's a little different than what we had. We put everybody in the ring at the same time. And now they have the little, what, every every two minutes or something? Two minutes, new, I believe, yeah. Two minutes, yeah. A new, new person comes in, which keeps the, the fans going. Um, uh, I, you know, it's a little harder to keep the match going, but they've done a really good job. The talent's been phenomenal and, uh, you know, they got all the great talent, so it should be a good one. Yeah. I, so it's been my favorite event as a kid and, uh, to see, I'm actually going to be there in attendance this year, uh, for the first time for a first row, I'm covering it as a dirt sheet writer. So that'll oh, be, you are. yeah, that'll be, maybe I'll enter at number like 30. You never know. <laughs> there you go. You're right. <laughs> for the wwe already right i'm gonna get tossed out immediately twice come on dom right i gotta get what do you think of their battle royal yeah what do you think of the royal rumble well i think you know i think it's is great because you know they've they've made this a milestone and everybody knows you know whoever weathers that storm is going to have that wrestlemania moment you know they have the moment of you know getting up pointing to the WrestleMania flag, you know, the banner at the end of it. And, uh, you know, it's, it's like they've made it iconic. And 
they've like taken the best of a lot of concepts to Greg's point, you know, battle rolls have been around forever. You know, Dusty had the war games and the war games were the same kind of concept. Two men started, you know, then another one came in back and forth and back and forth till you got everybody in. Then he called it the match beyond when everybody was in the ring and you ultimately had that winner. And it, it, it's a way to tell a story, you know, to make somebody, you know, so strong as, as WWE's done so many times in history, having somebody start it, make it all the way through, you know, wrestle 38, 40 minutes, 50 minutes, whatever it is, and then persevere and win the whole thing. So it's got the potential to be such a star maker and then create that magic you need for, you know, the guy that can overcome the mountain and, you know, become the new world's champion. So it's a, it's a great storytelling device. And, uh, you know, they've just got a great, you know, history with uh, classic people and matches they've had, uh, you know, over the past many, many years. And, and it's probably, you know, outside of WrestleMania, it's probably their biggest landmark event of the year that I would point to. I, I would agree. Yeah. I you know, it's not only the men, they have the ladies battle Royal mm-hmm. too, or the rumble Royal. Yeah. And, uh, the gal that won it last year, she went the whole hour. She stayed in there for the whole hour and won it. Uh, you know, and uh, the, the ladies' talent with the WWE is phenomenal. It's oh, phenomenal. top notch! And yeah, Rhea Ripley is who you're referring to, and it was like yes, Rhea went, Ripley. She uh, went the distance, and then she won. I love her. watching her. Oh, she is such a presence, like yeah. um, and uh, not just in the ring, but like on the microphone. She's got such a command to herself, and um, she has transpired, not transpired, but like transcended. Outside of wrestling, I think I, I know a lot of non-wrestling fans that are very much intrigued by her and uh, uh-huh. you know, her yeah, look and everything like that. She did a heck of an interview last week. Yeah, she's she's, she's good on the microphone. Excellent. Very good. Very good. Um, some of the so, uh, yeah, the match itself um, is going to include some of the stars. Um, but Randy Orton's actually in the title match against Roman Reigns, uh, him, AJ Styles and LA Knight. They're going to be in the fatal four-way match for the, the title. The, the r- rumor report is that, uh, necessarily this is just a way for Roman Reigns to kind of keep the title without having someone like a Randy Orton lose. Um, as far as the, the rumble match goes, some names that are in there are Cody, Cody Rhodes, Drew McIntyre and CM Punk. And then, uh, the unknown potentially could be the rock as well. If you guys had to make a prediction, who would you pick to win the Royal Rumble event for the men? Magnum, let's start with you. Well, well, if the rock comes in, it's a no brainer. I mean, you know, I mean, if I'm, if I'm booking it and I know that he's the surprise, you know, monster coming to the game, obviously you're not putting him in there without, you know, pointing to the main event at WrestleMania. Uh, so, you know, if his presence is on the, on the property, you know, he, he's the man. Uh, aside from that, you know, I see it coming down to Cody and CM Punk. And, uh, and really, there's no wrong answer to which way you go with that. Uh, they're both money. They're both, uh, you know, you know bring, bring it all, give it all. I mean, as much as I'd like to see Cody do it for selfish reasons, just because of our history and his dad and everything, uh, you know, the CM Punk story is pretty amazing in and of itself because anyone they can can travel back across and build a, have to build the bridge as you're crossing it to get back that you destroyed and, and find yourself firmly planted in not only the company, but in main event 
territory in the in the company. Uh, th- that's a phenomenal phenomenal task. So, yeah, I, I'm not going to even predict that they, they they can't make a bad decision. Uh, they got great participants, and uh, you know they but they they need to they need to swerve them. It needs to be something a little unpredictable. So okay, so that's what you would kind of lean on more. So it's not yeah. necessarily like the definitive of who might win, but more so, hey, you got to kind of keep the fans on their toes about all this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Greg, did you want to predict? Do you want to throw something in? Predict? Well, I, I'm about the same page as uh, TA is there. Uh, if The Rock enters it, I mean, that's it is it's a no-brainer. Um, but you got you got such great talent in there, and and I'm, I'm kind of, and Vern used to like to do it, and I'm sure Dusty did too when he booked the Charlotte area, is throw in something really unexpected, you know, um, like um, L.A. Knight. LA mm-hmm. You know, he's had a little run there. He's very popular with the people right now. Cody, that would be, I think, a little predictable, either him or the, if The Rock's not in there. Um, but we'll see what happens in this four-way one. I got a feeling that Reigns is going to come out of that, uh, and it'll either be L.A. Knight or... Uh, uh, probably, uh, uh, who's the other one he could beat in there? Uh, AJ Styles, probably. AJ Styles, probably. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I forgot about him. So, yeah, I mean, you, you've got six really strong candidates that they could it could go so many different ways right. again. And, and I don't, and Randy is like just the phenom himself. So, I mean, he's come back, looks better than I think I've ever seen him look at his entire career after you know, that, that back injury and that surgery and, and come back looking like he does. And in my mind, you know, they've obviously got a path. And what is he, 14-time champion or something? Yeah, or he's pretty close. He's up there. Right? Yeah, so, I mean, you know, they they want to see him climb that ladder. I mean, I, I know they, they lay awake at night and try to figure out how to get a path to circumvent what Flair, you know, what Flair's done. Because they don't want it that sixteen-time world mantle to be, you know, held in in that limbo there with with nobody actively being able to reach up and ring the bell. Right, right. Cena got yeah. close; he tied it. But yeah. Yeah. Randy Orton is a phenomenal performer. Just and he's really got the people behind him right now. He looks fantastic. His his ring work is, you know, second to none. Uh, and that would be an, that would be interesting. I, I you know, if The Rock was in there. And it ended up with uh, maybe him and Randy at the end. That would be uh, that would be something to see. That would be the reaction, and that would be very interesting to gauge the crowd because Randy is such a favorite at this moment in time too. Mm-hmm. It's like, and so you know how the crowd can turn on people and it'd be a little fickle. I don't think they turn on the Rock though. <laughs> it's true. It's true. We <laughs> just don't know. Um, and to your guys's point too, the fact that they're in this title match doesn't necessarily mean mean that they won't be in the rumble too and like you could get somebody like an la knight in there and he doesn't necessarily win the rumble but he goes a long distance and then people make note of that as like wow yeah. la knight really hung in there and that's a that's almost like an accolade in itself in that mm-hmm. yeah so it's a cool concept it's a lot of fun uh and yeah i'm pretty excited for it so um should be it should be an interesting event nonetheless um when it comes to um so i actually so being forthright, I don't necessarily tune in too much to AEW. 
uh, like all of my other work I do and stuff like that. I'm usually writing during the days and I'm doing social media work during the days. And if I can squeeze it in, then I'll try to watch some wrestling. So this week I actually, <laughs> I got to tune into AW Dynamite and I was pretty intrigued by um, they kind of changed the, almost the presentation in a lot of ways since I last sat in front of the screen and watched it for an extensive time. They seem to be more focused on promo game a little bit and more of the, the entertaining entertainment aspect of it all, of getting these personas over. And um, they really start off, though, with a pretty fresh match uh, from two veterans in Dustin Rhodes and Christian Cage for the TNT title. Um, it's okay if you guys haven't got to see the show yet, but... Uh, did you guys happen to catch the show or not? Or um, I didn't know Dustin came back. Oh yeah, he's when last week he so he that's uh, right, right? Yeah, I think it was the uh, last week during Collision. I think he was in the, uh, one of the matches, and then he got he really stood out in one of those matches, and then they gave him the title shot here. Well, I usually tape it. I haven't had a chance to see it yet. I was out to dinner for a birthday party, so uh, I didn't get home till late. Yeah, did Magnum? Did you see it? No, I did not, and I, I wish I had because Dustin's work today is the best. Some of the best work he's ever done. It's like the older he's got, the more seasoned he's got, the more people he's taught with his school, and just the more philosophical he's got on that end of the piece. He's got so much of his dad in him, and he's so athletic. And I mean, I, I was in Vegas when 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 Cody and him had the big match when when they first started that whole deal, and it was one of the most amazing matches I'd ever seen. And and I watch him now, and I mean, he's had you know both shoulders done multiple times. I mean, just put all together, you know, and he's just you know he's is walking miracle that he can even get around, much less go in the ring and do the things that he does. And uh, you know, Christian is you know, top, top-notch tier guy too. So for them to have those two guys, I can only imagine. I ought to, I ought to go back and watch it. I'm sure it was classic. And uh, and his stuff just holds up. You know, holds up really good. Christian Cage has been doing some of the best heel work as of recent, you know, when it comes to like how he gets such heat with the crowd and uh, this whole like patriarch of his own family kind of thing. It's very funny, but it's also very like, you know, very like heat inducing. So, and Dustin, yeah, it's just like, he's had such a renaissance since like the 2013 when he came back and he even mentioned earlier uh, in an interview uh, that he wants to be known more for being his sobriety than anything else. I think that's what, what he wants his legacy to be is like how he overcame a lot of that stuff like that. And uh, so it's just a really, really cool to see. And I, you know, it might be the, the mark in me when it comes to how much I love Dusty Rhodes and stuff like that. But I think uh, the aspect of um, him getting a title run, like, I don't think that should be out of the equation for him. In oh, not at all. I mean, he, he could be ever, ever as much to that organization as what the undertaker was to the WWE because he's got that classic timing. He's got that stature. He towers over, you know, most of the people there. I mean, he could go out there and have a 10 star match with, with Samoa Joe and, uh, and, and can talk and can do it and can do it all. So, you know, I've known him since he was like 15 years old. Uh, I mean, I, I remember him coming and moving in and moving in with his dad and just, just, a you know, full of them and vigor and testosterone and everything in between and all the trouble he could figure out how to get into and, and, you know, watching his, his journey and, and his, you know, to his point, the trials and tribulations that he 
has overcame and overcame, you know, not, not in an easy way, took multiple, multiple, multiple attempts and to reestablish himself and get himself on track. But once he did, he dug in and owned it and lived it. And uh, he, that is something that, that uh, he's left a mark uh, that will, that he can always look back on proudly. And now what he's doing in the industry again, you know, he's got several more good years in him. And if they, if they were to decide to, to give him a, a little bit more push, uh, you know, he could hang out there with any of them. Right. It, people get invested too. Greg, mm-hmm. did you happen to cross paths with him when you were like an agent in WCW or when did you with ever Dustin? interact with Dustin? Yeah. Oh yeah. I worked with him a little bit. I worked with Cody more than I did Dustin. Oh, okay. Um, Cody down at, uh, when I was down with the, uh, uh, down in Louisville, mm-hmm. uh, had a chance to work with him quite a bit. Uh, not so much with Dustin, uh, but they're both naturals. You know, they grew up in the business. They love their business. They're all business. And they they take pride in what they do and how they do it. And like T.A. said, I mean, you know, they're as good, they're as, good as anybody uh, in there right now. And um, I'm just happy for both of them. You know, Dusty, uh, Dusty was a unique individual and, uh, and the boys, uh, took both took after Dustin, I think has a little more dusty in him than, than Cody does. Uh, Cody's got a great mind on him for the business and they both do. Yeah. Well, you can't listen to Cody talk without hearing his dad because he's got the little lisp. You know, and he's, you know, he's monetized it and made it you know, his unique piece, but he got that 100% from his dad. Yes, he did. Now, Greg, would you say Dustin is more like Dusty in regards to his personality and then uh, Cody? Cody kind of has more of the marketing kind of thing down, I think. Yeah, he does without a doubt. I mean, he knows how to market himself. Yeah. For sure. Uh, And and I think Dustin is more of the nuts and bolts, you know? And, 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 uh, and Cody's the one with the, with the class and the mind and, and gives a great delivery. Dustin's the pork and beans while, uh, Cody's yeah. the king Queens. <laughs> so cool. No, I like it. Yeah. It, that was very fun to see. I'm always a sucker for guys like Dustin and, uh, veteran wrestlers and stuff like that. And then being able to get it done is pretty, pretty darn cool to see. Um, something else I wanted to talk about too, real quick. Um, they actually, so it's a moment that you guys might want to go back and tune into too on Dynamite was, um, oh, oh my God, Mark Briscoe coming out. And uh, it was, it's been a year since they lo- we lost Jay Briscoe, his brother, uh, to that tragic car accident and stuff like that. And here he kind of came out and uh, cut a little bit of a promo and then talked about like how the doctor said that uh, uh, Jay's one daughter might not be able to walk again. And sure enough, out she came like walking and stuff like that. And the, it was such a heartfelt and like i got emotional watching it even and uh, it was pretty pretty cool to see and um what did you guys i I know they were roh and things like that but as the briscoes as a tag team overall would did they ever catch wind with you either you guys are you familiar with them i got to see them live ricky steamboat's retirement match was in raleigh Mm -hmm. they did a little pay-per-view-ish kind of thing for for ricky to have that deal and those guys worked on that show and I'd never been up close personal, really get to see them do what they do. And they work with that FTR tag team. That's so great as well. And they absolutely 
killed it. I mean, it was it was phenomenal. It was it, it was good as anything from back in the day. It was believable. It was violent. It was exciting. It was never. I mean, and it wasn't. It wasn't a spot fest. It was a lot of hope, you know, kicking and fighting and holes and back and forth. But it wasn't like it, it wasn't like just watching, you know, one thing after another that didn't have any rhyme and reason to it. And so I was I became an instant fan because that was the first time I'd ever watched him work in person. And it was very shortly thereafter he had uh, had that tragic fatal car accident. And I was just devastated because I was thinking to myself, how can it be? that two guys that look as unlikely as they do, they can work like they do, talk like they do, and have never got a chance on a huge stage. And I'm going, this is absolutely ridiculous. You know, the nasty boys, the Steiners, the this, to that, the other, all over the years. And these guys were top-notch, you know, just absolutely fantastic. And, and you know, I had a, and I'm seeing them in this little small venue you know, event by happenstance, and uh, and they really never got their due in my, you know, in my evaluation of it, because they should have been, you know, main eventing for AEW or, or WWE, either one. Right, hundred percent. Greg, you're the tag team expert here. Have you got to see any of their work or anything? I didn't get to see any of their work as, as a team. I saw them individually, but never saw them as a team. And then, and then found out about this tragic accident they had. Uh, I, I wish I would have, because, uh, you know, TA and I, we think a lot alike and we usually agree on everything pretty much when it comes to things like that. So if he says they were that good, then I'm going with that too. Okay. You know, I'm going to have to send you guys a clip. They cut a promo uh, back in their ROH days and they're in their farm. They're, so they're chicken farmers, you know, and um, mm -hmm. there's a promo that they cut about who are they talking about? I think it's Davey Richards or somebody, but they're like having a match. They're going to have a match with him. And then they're saying like, he's wearing a mouthpiece and stuff like an MMA fighter almost and things like that. And like Jay Briscoe's like, Terry Funk ain't wearing no damn mouthpiece. And then they got like, Mark Briscoe's in the back, just like hanging out. And he's like, sets up a bottle and he's like, all of a sudden he shoots a shotgun at the bottle and misses. And it like stops the whole promo, but it's such an entertaining. And you're like, I love these guys, you know, and it, it's just like really speaks to what Magnum was saying, how kind of star quality that they have and that, that they can. I, I just remembered the spot. So they had a plastic chair that had this weaving in it, like like a basket weave. Uh -huh. Well, one of the guys hit one of the Briscoes over the head with the chair, and the chair went all the way over his head. It broke. It went down. Well, what nobody thought about was that was all solid plastic pieces that made like a Chinese finger, and it went down over his head. It all went into his neck. It was cutting him all the way around his neck, and they couldn't figure out how to get it off. Because he couldn't pull it up because all the stuff was pushing up into him. And I don't know how they ever got it off. Well, last time I saw him, he was still walking around with it on it. It was, I mean, he's just bleeding all the way around. Oh, man. <laughs> Holy smokes. Yeah. Oh, my yeah, that's great. I'll have to send you guys some stuff. It's, it, yeah. it's pretty, pretty entertaining. And it's such a shame, like, you know, obviously what happened. And, you know, the nicest guys, nicest guys you'd ever meet. So accommodating and thoughtful and really considerate. And uh, it's it is a shame, and you know, but it's it's good that they're still able to carry on his legacy here and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. So, 
Um, okay, um, so there was another promo that happened on Dynamite, and uh, it caused me to raise my eyebrows a little bit because uh, Hangman Page uh, cut a promo on Swerve Strickland. But uh, it wasn't so much what he said, but kind of what he looked like <laughs> with the mustache. And it made me think of Magnum. He looks uh, like Magnum a little bit. Yeah. Looks a little like Magnum, but I mean, the mustache, I don't know if you can. I mean, they called you Magnum for a reason because of uh, Tom Selleck. So, uh, Magnum, give us your thoughts on that. I, you know, I have, since I, I've, nobody's ever introduced me to him, though. I've been in the same room with him, and you would think someone would have. Yeah. But I've heard. You know, I've, Tony Schiavone said it to me. Different guys have said, hey, you, know, you need to watch this hangman guy. He reminds me a little bit of you. He's a little smaller, but he's kind of got that, that thing. And, you know, and I watched him, and and I think a good friend of mine, Jimmy Valiant, uh, probably trained him. And uh, so he's, you know, he, he comes from all the right stock. And I saw him, you know, and he's really athletic. I mean, a guy does flips over the top rope and all kind of stuff. And, I mean, he's a decent-sized guy. But it was I almost felt like they were pushing that persona on him a little hard. And now that I see the mustache, you know, maybe maybe that'll turn it all around for him. Maybe that's what it was. He maybe he needed the the, the gimmick, you know, the the big stash. You might need to grow it out a little bit more, and uh, you know, and and go with it. Now I, I'm personally, <laughs> I used to laugh because he changed his boots. He used to have these boots. That looked like reminded me of a little kid playing in his pajamas with his dad's boots on, uh -huh. and they were like too short or something. And yeah. he finally got it. He finally changed his boots up, and he got his boots where where they 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 look with it happening with the rest of his deal. But uh, you know, I think he's one of those guys that somebody probably came up with a gimmick and tried to help push him into that genre and whatnot. Because uh, he, I mean, he really is. He's intense and he's athletic. And he got a real big push there at one time, and then it seems like they cooled him down a little bit. I mean, he may have been out with an injury or something, for all I know. But, uh, you know, a guy's got a lot of potential. I mean, he really, he really does. And they have a lot of people there that do have potential. It's just nobody can kind of stay invested with them because the storylines don't, you know, keep taking you about. There, I mean, there's a very few guys that are, you know, in the, in the clique that you can kind of follow along with what's going on, Orange Cassidy, and you know different ones that they they continue to feature or spotlight and and uh, keep them in there. But they got they have so many folks that have potential to be helping helping have that quality from bell time to bell time. So you know show to show, and with as many shows as they're putting out there now, you know they could be showcasing more folks with more, you know, cultivating more storylines from start to finish and, and getting us, you know, more invested in more, more of these characters that they got. Uh, and don't get me wrong. It's really easy to armchair quarterback and sit back and do that. But you know, trying to keep up with that many hours of television episodic week after week is an absolute monster. And it takes a team of people helping you. And my understanding is, you know, Tony, Tony is doing, you know, the lines portion of that by himself and my hat's off to him. Cause I would have been complete basket case by now. Cause I, I did it with dusty for a short period of time. And, uh, we had TBS and with that many hours coming out and, and trying to just cultivate anything and get it from point A to point B, like, you know, Greg's talked about, you know, they program things a year out. 
Mm-hmm. Well, when you've got a couple hundred people that you're you're dealing with 12 months out of the year, 52 weeks a year, and that new product on all those different programs, you know, that is a, you know, you need an army of specialists all storyboarding every which way where this is going to go so people don't get lost in the shuffle. Then heaven forbid somebody gets hurt and screws up everything you're planning on, planning on doing. But, uh, yeah, the wealth of talent there. Uh, you know, I thought you were going to point to that that uh, interview from the Young Bucks talking about Sting. Yes. That's the one that got me. Oh, yeah. How about it? Because oh. they're great heels. Aren't they? I uh, mean, they vain like they vainly made reference to Vince McMahon. They made something about like uh, like having the final say or, or there was something that they kind of took a dig. Not a dig, but they like compared themselves to Vince in a certain way. And then obviously they referenced some stuff like indirectly about CM Punk too, but it's just like playing into that. They're so, they were amazing. They were really, really. They, they are. And, and it's so cool because it's, they, they tell stories that are relevant and they talk about, Hey, when we, you know, came up with this, you know, you know, AEW, we had a different concept and it was supposed to be, you know, edgy and different and this and elite and, you know, all these things. And it wasn't, you know, have a bunch of old guys running around here trying to relive their, their youth, right? Yeah. And, 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 you know, and they got a youth movement. And, it's, and you want to see the youth, but you've got to embrace it all, uh, you know, for your ratings, for, your, uh, for the culture, to be able to have something for everybody, to have your underdogs and your, your old heroes and, and, and all of it. And I, I think they've done a good job, you know, doing that. But it was, it was almost like the anti-culture of wrestling in the beginning, I called yeah. it the land of misfit toys. Right. Yeah. Because I mean, because if you took a bunch of these eclectic guys and took them out of a ring and put them all in a room in street clothes, most of them you wouldn't you wouldn't really peg for you know necessarily a professional wrestler. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you might thought they were you know valet your car or you know as Hogan said, bagging your groceries at, at the supermarket or whatnot, but. But it, it just shows you can bring the, all these people from different walks of life that were as equally as passionate as we were back in the day and then give them a stage and give them a place. And, you know, I'll be the first one to say, you know, I was one of the naysayers in the beginning because I came from the land of giants. I was 240 pounds and I was outweighed by 40 to 50 pounds by almost everybody I went in the ring with. Right. So I was a little guy in my mind in the world I operated in and in their world, it's the polar opposite. I would be a monster, you know, at 240, you know, going out there with guys that weigh a buck 50, you know, and, and it's, and it's like, it's cool that they, you know, they found lanes for all these people that otherwise would, you know, you know, be on Indies and backyard wrestling. And, you know, here they are, you know, getting to go to Wembley stadium and, you know, you know, living their dreams and doing stuff. So for me, my hat's really off to all of them for, for creating that kind of, you know, other culture, other availability, but being smart enough to embrace the history and the proven products of people like Christian Cage and Edge and, you know, and, and, and being smart enough to know that, you know, you know, Ric Flair is a, is a character, but he is a marquee. And you can put his name out there and it, it it transcends all kinds of different cultures and you'd be stupid 
not to take those opportunities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe don't, don't make you shoot yourself in the foot, but you'd be stupid from a marketing perspective not to associate yourself, you know, like that. Right. So, you know, there, there's you much more small at 240. Yeah. How do, you, how do you think I felt? How? What were you, Greg? What were you? About 25, 208. Okay. Yeah. You know, and same thing. We're in with all those giants all the time. But, uh, God, I remember uh, we we wrestled Brody and Hanson over in Japan. Yeah. And then when we came back, Brody came into the AWA and he walked out of a match with Sergeant Slaughter, walked right out of the match. And he told Wally Carbo, the promoter, and Vern, how'd you like that one? <laughs> and then, then he was in with Jerry Blackwell, big Jerry Blackwell. He walked out on him and he said to him, how did you like that one? And they said, well, you know, what's the, what's the problem? And he pointed to me, he says, I want to work with him. Yeah. And I said, God, I don't want to work with him. Come on. It was tough enough in a tag match. I don't want to go in alone with him. <laughs> uh, you, Greg. Yeah. I, yeah. I said, yeah. What do you want to take my head off? Well, Greg, let me ask you this too. Uh, somebody like the Young Bucks. Yeah. They're, they're smaller, uh, very much athletic. Was, you know, he, he took me, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, let me ask you about the the young bucks in in comparison to what you know what Magnum was saying that they're smaller and like you don't really necessarily see them like to an extent to of how they might be you know in the ring. Once you see them in the ring, they're obviously athletic and capable of what what they can do. But like Vern was a smaller guy, but yeah, Vern also had a wrestling back two twenty five at his peak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So getting that across like as a smaller talent. And, and, and showing your athleticism and stuff like that. The Young Bucks, as overall, conveying a heel persona as a smaller talent, too. Do you think it can still kind of transition in a lot of ways across? Oh, yeah, I mean, without a doubt. I mean, they're good in the ring. They have good psychology. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the psychology we had back in our day was probably a little more sophisticated that we had to do than what they do now. And theirs is more action, action, action. But it's still quick thinking and doing what you do. And... Uh, they're so good together, and as a tag team, you can compensate for the size by the tagging in and out and controlling your opponent. You know, in our case, we had to be able to wrestle. You know, mm-hmm. back in our day. Now it's a little bit more with the, you know, when you hear the TV tell you that the attention span of the American public is eight seconds. Right. And if it's any longer than that, they turn the channel. So, you know, everybody producing TV now wants everything that boom, 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 boom. And that's why they've upped that pace of wrestling, uh, I think. Uh, they've lost a little bit of the storytelling in the ring. I think a lot of it. Uh, right. uh, you, you know, uh, I go back to a match we had with Tito Santana and uh, uh, Rick Martell in, in San Francisco. Two, two babyface teams. And we were champions. They go out and the cow palace and the people out there were hard to work. I mean, they were tough. And as they walked out, the people are going, bullshit, bullshit, boring, boring. We looked at it and said, well, God, at least we're, we're going to get cheered. We went out and got the same reaction from them. So ended up in the match, Tito and, and uh, Rick, just a clean, clean tag team match, wrestling match. And they had us in a hold and we sold and fought out of it and boom, boom, for 18 minutes. 
And at the end, we heard that bullshit boring all the way through. In about 18 minutes, we turned them. Yeah. And we had them standing. And we were going to go about 20, 25 minutes. We ended up going 45 minutes and just had the place standing. Wow. You know, and that's when we came back in the locker room and Ray Stevens and Pat Patterson and Bachwinkle and Vern and Blackwell, who was over there, came up and said, guys, that was unbelievable. But see, that was that was the psychology back then of telling the story. And now there's not much of a story in there that I get. Maybe they do more in their pay-per-views. I think WWE is getting a they do it a little bit more than what AEW does. Mm-hmm. So um, it's a different brand, but it's it's what today what people want. Well, I tell you, Greg, they are telling a story. Here's a difference. Yeah. It's storytelling. 100%, but it's the difference today in going and watching a John Wayne movie back in the day and 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 clearly who the good guys are and the bad guys and this and that and the other. And really, you know, just tell the story, gets to a point, bad guy finally gets beat by the good guy, end of the deal. But you go watch a movie today and that attention span thing to our earlier conversation Everything is like going like this as fast as it can go. And they're telling the story, but they're telling it in a way that this new generation, the attention span is so short, can follow it. And like it took me a while to get where I could even enjoy those things because my brain was programmed to to, to set a stage and do it a certain way. But you 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 just miss the whole concept. So mm-hmm. storytelling has evolved. It's just changed. I'm not going to say always were better or whatever. Cause I've watched some of those old movies that I used to think were so great. And, and, and <laughs> frankly, some of them were a little boring to me. You know, today. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's a, there's a few that, that still hold up right out loud. So you're yeah, and, generation. And it is, it is definitely a, just a completely different genre. And even the Randy Orton's and, and the Seth Rollins and the, and the guys, that I, I, you know, I, I'll put on that top tier today, yep. and Cody and all of them, they're telling stories, but they're going, they're still, they're cramming about eighty-five percent more activity in a shorter period of time because they are their time limitations, but also because of what the people want than than what we would have had to do thirty years ago, yeah. and it's just it's just the difference of that evolution. So no matter how good you are at your craft. If you can't change the way you communicate and you're communicating by your action, then you're, you're not going to get these people, you know, today, like, like you would have been one match could still do it, but you couldn't do a whole card like it. Right. Yeah. I agree with that. And, you know, to, to the point of, uh, the storytelling aspect. Yeah. The, the bucks really set the table with that promo coming up. Uh, you know, when it comes to like, Hey, Sting's trying to, you know, we don't have anything against Sting and we think Sting's great. And he's been a great worker for us. Like he, <laughs> they even put them in above him in that position, like passive aggressively. But then they also were like, but yeah, he's like this older guy. And we're trying to establish this new identity kind of thing. But then to the point of them having this match. Now you have the aspect that Sting's the older guy, Sting's the veterans. This is Sting's last match. Hey, can he keep up with the Young Bucks? And not only that, but Sting's partner is likely going to be Darby Allen, who is smaller than the Young Bucks. So yeah. it's like they could be very good complementary heels to, to what they're going up against. Oh, they will be. Up. Yeah, it'll, it'll be a really good match. It'll be, yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. So cool. I'm excited. I want to go to Greensboro. We'll find out, though. Um, okay, 
it's spotlight time, and I think this will be a good one. Uh, you, me and Greg talked a little bit uh, yesterday, I think it was, about like, hey, who's some crossover talents that both you and Magnum have kind of ran into? And uh, Greg has a huge list, and I'm sure you do too, Magnum, but uh, well, I figure a good one to start with would be none other than Ric Flair. Uh, and that was per Greg's suggestion too. Uh, my goodness, uh, such a transition from his AWA days to the Nature Boy to what we – a lot of fans uh, uh, associate him with. Um, but, Greg, I wanted to get your uh, impressions, first impressions of Ric Flair and Vern's first impressions of Ric Flair because 1971, I think, is when you guys started training. Is that correct? Yeah, I was training uh, 72, right after the Olympics in 72. Mm-hmm. Patera finished the Olympics. We came home, and it was Patera, Flair, uh, Brunzel, the Iron Sheik, Bob Bruggers, and myself. And um, Rick was 294 pounds when he came to camp. Patera was 360. And, uh, you know, we did six hours, six days a week. But Vern always saw it. You could see it in flair. I mean, uh, Vern used to say this was the best class that he ever, you know, consisted with all six of us coming out of it and doing well. Uh, Brugger's gotten a Could have been, but most of us, uh, you know, Rick was, Rick was Rick. I knew him in college. He wasn't any different uh, today than he was back in college. I don't know if I told you the story about the girls at the sorority. Did I ever tell that story? No. Oh, really? So we're freshmen at the University of Minnesota and the, the football coach is Murray Warmath. And uh, Rick and I knew each other from high school. And he, Murray wanted me to stay in charge of Flair, you know, keep tabs on him. Well, Flair's in one one's fraternity, and we're, I'm in another one. And this fraternity in the fall, they have the they have the sororities come over, and they all meet together, right? So here comes here comes the girls, the freshmen, and some of the juniors and seniors are coming up, and they're coming up to the Delta the Delta House. And they hear this, woo, and they look up, and here's Rick on the second floor of the of the uh, of the fraternity house, one light bulb on above him, the window wide open, and he's standing up there naked. <laughs> he's That's a big that's a huge shock. I am appalled. I don't believe you would say that about the nature boy. Right, it never really, yeah. <laughs> There he was. Well, the freshman girls, a lot of them took off, but some of the other ones came in, and I know a few of those seniors took the took that uh, Space Mountain ride that night. <laughs> so he, from the days of them till now, he hasn't changed a whole lot. He, well, back- he, he was a personality, and and Vern saw it in him right away. And and Rick, I, you know, he quit twice, and both times Vern went and. Knocked him on his ass and said, "Get back in that camp. You're not quitting." So he he was a natural, and uh, he's been a uh, uh, just a great guy for professional wrestling. I mean, he's done a lot for professional wrestling and bringing notoriety to the sport. Well, uh, Magnum, before I get to you, real quick too, uh, you mentioned like Greg saw. I mean that Vern saw the, uh, the charisma and stuff already in flair, like immediately like that. Um, and, but like, he had such a different look back then. And here oh. I thought I happened to find a picture of you and him together here. And, um, a couple oh. of questions. Jeez, Why who's... did you get rid of the mustache? 
And then why? Just to take play, a look at it. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> I look like I should have been one of those porn movies. Right. I thought it was fitting for the times, though, you know? Yeah. Wow. Look at that. I'm, yeah. I'm, my mouth's open. I, I'm in shock. <laughs> you you, you could have kept your gimmick and, 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 and been like Magnum GG. Right. <laughs> then you guys, yeah, form a tag team together. Well, once she went Magnum T.I., I got rid of the mustache. Oh, there you go. There you go. Well, going in. First match Rick and I had were in mm -hmm. Peoria, Illinois. And it's in a high school gym. There's about 4,000 people in it. It's sold out. And um, we're going to do 20 minutes. And about two minutes into the match, Rick came off the ropes, a big body slam, and the ring broke. Oh, yeah. You were telling us about that. Right down. Did I tell you that one already? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I dove down and covered them. We are up sideways, and we went 20 minutes that night with a broken down one. And I guess that's when everybody knew that uh, I guess the two of us had some something that worked in wrestling. Well, how did – so did Vern kind of have a plan for Rick when it comes to his charisma and how he was going to get him portrayed off of television? Like, was there – because, I mean oh. – you see the the nature boy identity, um, and you mentioned that Flair was always like that. So, is was that going to be kind of the game plan for Vern in a lot of ways in, well, in showing off Flair? Yeah, I mean, eventually he sent Rick out, you know, to different areas, and then Rick got to Charlotte, and he never came back. Oh, okay. He was supposed right. to go out and come back, but Rick was a uh, at, at the time when we started, we had Dusty Rhodes and Dick Murdoch there, eighteen. Mm -hmm. Joe Blanchard to send Dusty up. He said, "Hey, Vern, you got to take these guys." I've had, I've had a few issues down here I, and they're going to be, they're really good. And Rick was a, a dusty fan. He got the cowboy boots and the cowboy hat and he was, he was traveling with them everywhere. And uh, we're, we're going up to Minot, North Dakota. We finally, it, it's November and it's cold and Murdoch and Rhodes had a uh, El Camino, you know, the, Two in the front, then you had like a like a pickup truck almost. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. So Patera had leased a car, Mr. Moneybags leased this car, big Buick that we're going to ride with. And it's got Patera, Flair, Brunzel, the Iron Sheik, and myself in the car. And we're up about past St. Cloud, which is about an hour out of Minneapolis, hour and 15 minutes. And we got another four or five hours to go to get to, get to Minot. It's 504 miles from Minneapolis. And it's cold. And that we're we're in their back with the iron cheek and he's all farting around and we said god damn it we stopped to get gas and murdoch and Rhodes were ahead of us and they they said we'll put cosro he can come with us so cosro got a little jacket on jumped in the they didn't they said well there's no room in the front they put him in the back end of the el camino <laughs> and they're and they're driving 80 90 miles an hour and it's colder than hell out and Cosro would turn around and he'd hit the window and they'd slam on the brakes. And he'd hit the, he'd hit the window. They'd hit. Oh, God. They did this and we're behind them. We're laughing our asses off. We get up there and poor Cosro, he comes in the locker room and he's shaking like this. He's all red. He's freezing. And then they get him in a battle Royal and they grab him. Murdoch and Rose. <laughs> He never touched the top rope, landed <laughs> in with the people, and that was it. And that, but he wouldn't ride back with them. He's like a block of ice at that point. Oh, God, that Murdoch and Rhodes. Oh, Jesus. We got a lot of stories about them when they came to Minneapolis. 
I believe it. I believe it. Yeah, they were up there. Oh. I'm sure you have some great story, dusty stories, don't you, TA? Well, I, I, yeah, I, I got plenty of Dusty, plenty of Rick, plenty, plenty of uh, uh, of all of them. Yeah, and, uh, my and Rick was uh, he was so influential in so many ways on me in the beginning because I was actually I was a North American champion working for Bill Watts, and they brought Rick in. And booked him with me, and I'm so I'm their number one guy. Him, boom, boom, and and uh, so I've never I've never been in the ring with Rick in my life, and I it was I think it was it was either Tulsa or Oklahoma City, and uh, so we we worked had a an amazing match. We worked some kind of DQ like 45, 50 minute match, and unbeknownst to me, he was kind of like the scout for for uh, you know for the the Crockets mm-hmm. and. And was like, you know, letting them know, you know, what, you know, what I was all about, what, what was going on. And, you know, fast forward six months uh, and I'm in, in there with Crockett and with, when we went on the super station, Rick and I went all the way around the whole loop, uh, everything that all the big towns that we covered. And he and I went an hour every night for a month, 19 hour broadways in one month. How and many? 19. 19 and and we we did the whole loop to set the stage because we were going in wwe's backyard we were going everybody's backyard and they wanted that to be you know setting the table for what the nwa you know brought because at that time hogan was out there having the eight 10 minute matches and you know the you know just all the you know working the crowd doing the stuff and we were hammering the fact that we were you know we were the real deal and in just marketably different product, but you know, being able to put that much ring time in with him, and understanding that the timing of what it takes to to you know be able to do an hour with anybody like he had to be able to do as champion was was why that role was so crucial because back then the champion was a traveling champion and he had to be go to New Zealand and Australia and Japan and. You know every you know every NWA territory there was, and work with whoever their top guy was. And of course, he's the world champion. He's not going in there; he can't do the job. He's not dropping the belt. And uh, so he did. He I can't imagine how many hours that that man done in his career. But you know when you when he says he could wrestle with a broomstick, I mean he literally could. He yeah. you know, he could take take guys that were that were good and have. Five star matches. He could take guys that were C class and still tear the house down, and still get that out of them. And uh, I, I learned more in the ring with him, just in timing and pacing yourself, and and doing the kinds of things you have to do to do that, than uh, you know, pretty much anybody that I work with. And it, it was he was a it was just a huge uh, influence on me uh, all the way around. And I had and the neat thing was I had watched him. Growing up in the Mid Atlantic area, I'd watched him on TV, and then, you know, I, here I graduate from high school in 1977, and in uh, 1985, we're selling out the Norfolk Coliseum where I grew up. You know, capacity crowd for the world title with, uh, you know, my family and two sets of granddaddies up in the stand, and you know that's unheard of. That's like something out of a movie. You know, the things like that don't really happen in real life, but you know, I got to have that moment with him. So yeah, he's a special guy. 
Yeah, he really is. Magnum, is there a certain talent you mentioned like that? He, like Flair works with anybody and they're like, he, he has the track record to show it too. Is there yeah. somebody, there's a moment or, a, or an opponent that he had that you're like, wow, he really brought out the best in that person that like I did not expect and like put them on another level basically. Is there somebody that stands out to you? You know, during my time, he was only working with the steamboats and the, mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, the Ricky Mortons and, you know, guys that could all go, could right. all work. The unique thing with him was it didn't matter if he was out there with Dusty, who who was charismatic as all could be, but obviously his in-ring work was was limited to, you know, all the things that he could do. But he could go out there and have that hour match with Dusty that would, you know, create a riot just as well as he could going out there with Ricky Steamboat, who could do every classic move ever imagined and with such grace and style. He looked like he should have been a ballet, but, but, you know, he had those abilities to, to go get uh, a Kerry Von Eric, who was uh, the, you know, most classic looking physique probably ever to be in a wrestling ring and, and very charismatic, but very inconsistent in what, you know, which Curry was going to come to play that day. Right. Like, yeah. I mean, he could be, he'd be super over the top or, you know, he, he, or maybe not so, and uh, so it's you know that that's just a, you know some examples. I, I didn't ever you know obviously he wouldn't be booked with anybody that was just a undercard guy right. uh, and, and 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 whatnot. But I'm sure you know he talks about like working doing an hour with Brody, and you know and doing an hour with Brody, and and Brody does what Brody wants to do, you know. If Brody wants to take a walk and walk you all over the building and smack you into, you know, half the people out there, that that's where you're going. And and uh, so he could, you know, he was a very durable guy. I think most people, again, he wasn't that big after the plane crash. He trimmed down, you know, maybe 230, uh, you know, from from being, you know, a 300-pounder and, and really recreated himself and became, you know, this, you know, almost felt athlete by comparison to, uh, you know, what he started out as. And he looked more like Dick the Bruiser, you know, back in the day. And he and he trimmed down to, you know, the 60-minute man that, uh, you know, like the Everetti Bunny could just go and go and go in. And he really was. I mean, he could do that in the ring. He could stay up all night. He could, I don't know when he slept. I mean, I've heard Terry Taylor talk about Terry was so, so excited because he's working with Ric Flair in the Superdome. And, oh, my gosh, it's like the biggest opportunity of his career. And, and Flair comes in, he looks like hell, and he's been out all night, you could tell. And when he went in the ring, he was he was all changed. His whole persona had changed. He was in his groove and he ran him in the ground. And he just, you know, <laughs> he, you know, just like he's an H. You know, yeah. he's, nobody could do it like him. And uh, you know, they kind of broke the mold there. It it was a it was a different time when it was we were a bunch of wild stinking Indians, and it was like the wild, wild west. And if you couldn't go like that, you didn't get the opportunities mm-hmm. because if you couldn't roll with the big boys to, you know, like he's talking about, you know, Dusty and Murdoch coming in town and, and Harley race when he was roaring and, and wild eyed Mexican silver and, 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 you know, the, the list goes on and on. There wasn't a lot of choir boys in any of that list of folks that we're talking about from Terry Funk, you know, right on through, but a bunch of, folks that you know could have been on the most wanted list if they'd been in a different occupation so 
So, uh, you know, it wasn't for the faint of heart. And I, I will say, I don't know that the, the current crowd <laughs> is durable enough to have done what we did, you know, basically 330 plus days a year, you know, yes. and, and live that kind of fast paced, you know, lifestyle on top of it, because it, you didn't necessarily know where every gym was in every town, but you knew where every bar was in every town. Yes. And, and, you know, and it wasn't the, uh, it wasn't anywhere near the environment of, you know, having, going to buildings and having food catered for everybody and everybody having their health shakes and all that stuff. It was just a different time. And, and, it, and I don't know that it would play well to the culture of the folks <laughs> today. There'd be a lot of hurt feelings and, right. and, uh, and politically incorrect statements made and all kind of stuff that, uh, you know, it, it'd be funny though. I'd love to see it. I, I'd love, I'd love to be able to take that class of, 1980 to 1990, about 50 of those guys and get about 50 of the guys from a day and put them all in a room and let them talk for a while and come back and see, well, it all worked out. Right, yeah, like, how is that song going to play out, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, here's, in 1972, when Dusty and Murdoch came in, uh -huh. we had, an, Vern had a bunch of young guys at that time. Don Morocco, Snooka, then we had the Crusher, then we had Bachwinkle, Stevens, Heenan, Billy Robinson, the Vashans. And if you don't think that was wild with that crew, every day after every town, Bert would get a call from the promoter. <laughs> Either it was Snooka or it was Morocco or it was Dusty and Murdoch. And uh, and then, then he had the young guys and Flair. He jumped right in there with all of them. Fit right um, in. Of course, we all did. We didn't miss too many. But it was quite a quite an interesting crew at that time. Well, Greg, let me ask you this too. Um, when you see Flair work over his career and, and, you know, move on from AWA and get to the Crockett's and then eventually mm -hmm. move on WE, WCW, you have it. Um, what did you see uh, that he really took away from Vern's training that he adapted throughout his whole career? Is there something well, that stood out to you? Oh, everything. I mean, we were all trained the same way. You know, and, and Rick, uh, I told you, he came in at 294. He went out at 260 by the time Vern got done with him. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was six hours a day, six days a week. And we all learned the holds, the counter holds. We learned submission holds. Learned, uh, uh, you know, they had, they had one drill they did. And, it, God, we do this in the winter it, in December, and it would just kill us. You know, we were in sweatsuits, and it would be the end of the, the last hour. He'd put one guy in the ring. And they only five standing on the apron. And then one guy would get in and uh, it might be Rick in the middle. And Vern would say, take the headlock, two tackles, uh, leapfrog, uh, uh, arm drag. And you call it out and you, each guy would go three minutes. Mm -hmm. So the guy in the middle would get, you know, the other, the other five guys. So you'd sweating your butt off. And then you'd stand at the end of the line and it's 20 below zero and your sweatsuit kind of freezes to you. Oh, yeah. And then you'd go back in the ring and, uh, you know, Vern would call a body slam the first move and you'd come out <laughs> and you felt like a cartoon character, you know, <laughs> you thought you shattered. So, you know, and we did that every single day and would build up to where you had each guy in there for five minutes with them. So we all, we learned how to, you know, 
we didn't learn how to pace there because it was nonstop for the guy in the middle. But we learned, it gave us the condition to go as long as we wanted to go in the ring. Wow. And, and Rick picked up on that. And, and I think we all did. And he, uh, he you know, he excelled. He, he excelled. He did. He's, he's brought an awareness to professional wrestling in this era. And for how many years? Um, Burns just sent him to Charlotte to get, he was supposed to get, you know, more training there, learn the mat. Then he was bringing them back. And that's what he did with everybody. And uh, same thing with Steamboat. And then they never came back. Yeah. So fed the crack at some pretty good talent there. I would say so. I would definitely say so. We wish TA would have been in our class. Right. Of course, he'd have been a few years after us. You know, he's a young guy yet. Imagine if there was like a trade or transfer portal back then for wrestling, where it'd be like, "Hey, uh, you go, we'll give you a steamboat if you give us a magnum for a couple." Yeah, <laughs> it'd be pretty nice. They didn't want to let go of anybody. <laughs> I go, oh, yeah, you can't play. Yeah, that's yeah. Fair. You know, Vern took he, he he wanted everybody to get you know uh, at least a year experience with another organization, whether it was Kansas City or with Joe Blanchard or mm-hmm. Crockett's or down to Eddie Graham. So he'd send the guys out to him, and and you know. It's, some most of them came back, but a few of them didn't. Yeah, yeah. They did really well for themselves. I mean, they were all talented guys, but it was again, it goes back to how they were trained and prepared to go into the ring and do an hour. You know, and, you know, and, and, and I wasn't I wasn't there, but I, I can tell you for me, all that training and all the things he's talking about, it wasn't the moves, it wasn't the things, it's the mental toughness. Yes. It's truly the mental conditioning to to be able to put your body through things that would make most people quit and getting conditioned in your brain that you can do anything that there's nothing that's impossible because you, you, I mean, it was like if Dusty told me to go do something, I never thought about it. I hadn't practiced it. I hadn't done anything. He just said, Hey, this sounds like a good idea. Go do that. And I would go do it just because he thought I could do it. And I thought I could do anything. And that's the mentality we had to have. Mm-hmm. You know, we were, we were in the Superdome in, in with, with uh, that Daglin uh, uh, Crockett cup. And he yeah. says, Hey, catch, catch Tiger mask you know, and belly to belly. him, And he's going to come off the top. I've never talked to him, never seen him. Don't know how much he weighs, nothing. And okay, sure. You know, and, uh, and, and of course, he's the same mentality. He's the one giving me his body jumping off the top, is praying that I'm going to catch him and spin him around and do it. But but all you those things in those hours in that ring time, ring time, ring time made you mentally tough and just made you believe that you could do whatever it took to get the job done. And that's why all those folks that persevered, what you know, what they went through with Vern. You know, so many of them went on to be successful. Well, part of that mental toughness, too, and you hear about it, and you, I, you guys are well aware of it, too, is, yeah, you're working in the ring, you're working on the road, but you're also part of that. the name of the game is uh, drinking and socializing, and that was part of, like, really? a huge, yeah, from what I hear. You know, I, I can't explain yeah, it. Yeah, I never got into that. But, you know, Flair's notorious for that stuff. So I guess a good way to close this episode out might be uh, – uh, you guys, you already shared a story, Greg, but if you have another one, what is something pretty entertaining that you can share with the listeners today, uh, that we can get away with, so to speak on here, oh, <laughs> Magnum, you want to start? Do you have something? 
Go ahead, Magnum. And I, I got a, another Dusty Murdoch one for you, but okay. go ahead. Well, this involves Dusty. So Great American Bash on tour, and there's we're in Richmond, Virginia. And uh, big show, excitement. Everybody's all had a great time, great matches. And we there's a brand-new Sheraton just been built, beautiful bar. We're all in there. There's probably there was like 30 of us on the card. So we got 30 of the boys in there in entourage and people and everything to go with it. And right, right there, just, I don't know, something somehow flair decided to start a food fight. And I saw him put something on his fork and I saw him turning it back, kind of like looking for his target. And of all the people in the world that you could hit with whatever it was he threw, it was Hawk. He hit <laughs> poof. Well, a food fight that, Short of Animal House is, is the only thing I can think of that makes it make sense. The 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 bell the the bus boys were running to the kitchen and bringing things to us to throw because we were out of everything. I mean, bottles of ketchup and bottles of champagne pitchers with water in it. And anyway, this crazy thing in this um, again beautiful hotel. And right in the front of the lobby, there was a little swimming pool right there in the lobby as you came in with the desk on his side and Dusty decides that he's going to do his Shamu imitation and takes all his clothes off and dives into the water, push to, to finish off the evening because he couldn't top the food fight anymore. And he didn't want to be, he didn't want to be in all that note. So he decided he'd give him one more show. And the manager sitting there looking at me and I'm looking at him and I'm looking at Dusty. He said, are you going to get him out of there? <laughs> And I took my boots off and I walked out of the water. I said, big fellow, we need it. I think it's time to go to the room. And I kind of sashayed him up out of there. We got some clothes around him and got him, got him out. But, you know, everybody was always taking it to the next level. And it was, seems like when you had guys like Rick and, and Dusty and the Murdochs and Wahoos and all these guys, they just always knew how to, like, one up it one more time. And, uh yeah. Again, if we if we if we could only capture it on camera, right? Yeah. <laughs> we wouldn't be doing the podcast. That no, that's fabulous stuff. <laughs> Greg, how about you? What What do you got? What, what was the story? Well, no, uh oh, go go, Laura just walked in here with groceries. Oh. <laughs> Come here, Laura. Show them your face. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, so Dusty and, and and Murdoch are here every week. Burns got something going on. Jesus, they're in so much trouble. So they had, uh, they had a, God, how did it go again? It'll come back to me at some point. Go, go. Laura came in here and got me all fired up. <laughs> so Murdoch and Rhodes are down at this, uh, at, uh, they, they checked, they got him a hotel, a, a, apartment at called Cedars of Edina. Mm -hmm. Edina is kind of a, a upper end class of people there and brand new apartment complex. And the Minneapolis police always monitored our wrestling. They always down at the wrestling matches. So Dusty and Decker, they got a place at the Edina Cedars apartments. And Wally Carbo gets a call about 10 30, 11 o'clock at night. Hey, Wally, this is the Edina and Minneapolis Police Department. We're down here at Edina Cedars, uh, and we just, we got Murdoch and Rhodes here. And Wally, he was, well, there, what happened there, pal? He said, well, 
we got to call it. There's all this noise. So we pulled up and we came in and we got through the door and we opened it and there was two naked women and Dusty and Murdoch naked and they were playing football with the girls and they had an Appaloosa donkey in the, in the apartment. <laughs> the donkey had relieved itself all over the walls. <laughs> True story. So he says, oh, he says, we should throw him in jail. He says, oh, guys, you can't, you can't throw him in jail. You can't throw him in jail. Okay, Wally, we'll get him out of here. So they, they got him out. About 1230, quarter to one, Wally gets another call. Hey, Wally, it's the Minneapolis police again. Uh, we got Murdoch and Rhodes here. Oh, pal, what happened there? Well, they went down to this country western bar, and Dusty got up singing, singing his favorite song. And they're, they're drunker than hell. And they got the girls with them. And Murdoch rides the Appaloosa donkey into the bar and up on the stage. And Dusty's singing. And the donkey relieves himself on the stage again. So Wally says, oh, God, guys, what are you going to do? Well, we, we, we should throw him in jail. What are we going to do with this damn donkey? And tell him to put it on their trailer and and tell them to go check into some hotel somewhere, but leave the donkey in the in the in the trailer. So, oh, where did they get a donkey? Where did they get a donkey? Who knows where they got it? An Appaloosa donkey they came in with. Oh. When he rode in, he had the guns and he was shooting. That he shot the holes in the ceiling in the bar. Oh my God! So there was plaster flying all over. So they took the guns away from him and and. Oh. <laughs> Let him go. So then Vern had to have him in the office. <laughs> and of course, Vern wanted to be mad at him, but you know, the story was so that's unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> unbelievable. Wasn't it? Well, that's oh. why Vern sent him to Charlotte. He sent him, he had to get him out of there for a while. You know what? You guys gotta leave the it's like the mafia. <laughs> you guys gotta get out of here for a while. We gotta get him out. Yeah. <sighs> so Wow. Okay. Yeah, classic that's the way, to end, that's the way yeah. to the end of the episode. Now, who else would come up with a prank like that, right? Right. Where would you even think of doing something like that? Oh, Only these God. two. Playing football naked. And then yeah, uh, and they, they were with the donkey. Just they had been drinking all night. <laughs> <laughs> they had the Southern Comfort out. They had the beer out. Oh, my God. Yeah. Unbelievable. Johnny be nice. bad. That's what Dusty was singing. Go, oh go, goodness. go, Johnny, go. <laughs> and here Johnny. comes Murdoch. Bang, 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 bang. Shoot the ceiling and then oh, bring yeah. it in the donkey. What the heck? Classic, huh? <sighs> Guys, if you don't like that, I don't know what to tell you on this one. No, that's it. <laughs> Holy smokes. You, you, you never heard that one, T.A.? You get the props. That was good. That was really good. Have you ever heard that, T.A.? Uh, you, you know, I seem to I recall it. Uh, I, I remember hearing a story about a donkey, Dusty telling me. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. It was unbelievable. Well, I mean, we'll be focusing on Dusty for an episode for sure. And then, yeah. I mean, Flair will always be in the conversation, too. So I'm sure we'll we'll follow oh, back. He ran, hard with those, he ran hard with those, too. I bet. I believe it. I yeah. believe it. So, guys. He was a Dusty fan. He had the cowboy boots and the hat. Yeah. Well, <laughs> he, wanted is, be, he wanted to be Dusty. Didn't he want to be Ricky Rhodes? Is, is that true, right? Is that what his first name wanted to be? Well, he wanted, yeah. Well, he wanted to be. He wanted to be just like Dusty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and Burns said, "No, you can't go by Ricky Rhodes. No, you can't do that. No, no. 
but he had the cowboy hat and the boots and he ran with them wherever they were. He was there. I, I believe him around. Oh, how so, about that? Jeez. Yeah. So crazy. Wrestling such a fascinating uh, genre. The people, the outlaws that go into it. It's that's why I love it. That's why I love oh, it. Yeah, there's there's stories like that about all this great talent that Magnum TA and I were around. Hey, we'll be covering we'll here. for the next show. Yeah, we'll save them for the next show. Guys, if you like what you're hearing, like I said at the beginning of the show, like us on YouTube, subscribe to the YouTube channel, go to gagneandmagnum.com. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. You're probably already here if you're hearing seeing this, but if you're hearing it, that's where you go for that. Um, get to check out the clips. We'll be doing giveaways at some point here, so be sure to keep your eyes out for that. We'll be talking about that later on. Um, as far We're as both the, on Instagram, yes. So Instagram, you can follow Greg on Instagram at Gagne.greg. You can follow Magnum. Oh, Robert was on the ball. Magnum well, underscore. There he is. Oh, he's got oh, it there up. There we go. And then uh, you can follow me at dom.d'angelo. But, hey, uh, be sure to check out Powertown. If you see that QR code that's right beside me, too, uh, you can check out the first series that's coming out. And there's more to come. Uh, it's pretty exciting. The Remco, we'll be talking about those a little bit more in detail later on. Um, and the, if you haven't, there's a very select few I saw left of the Carrie Von Eric limited edition diamond collection. I, I got my copy of it already. I'm excited to get it in the mail. And so uh, you guys can get one too. It's there's very limited available. Magnum, are you aware how much is left of those by chance? Uh, I'll, I'll be surprised if by the time this airs, if they're not all gone. Well, there you go, guys. So uh, hopefully you hear this and uh, or catch wind of it. Uh, maybe you've already purchased it. So we got a lot of great stuff coming up too. So go to power. Amazing down. stuff. Amazing stuff. Uh, the detail, the attention to detail. Your that Vern figure is so awesome too. By the way, Greg, it's like uh, oh, when I was doing the photo editing and stuff like that. I was like, "Holy smokes, this figure is amazing!" So yeah. took him from the fifties, what he looked like in the fifties. I know same thing with Luther. Now Magnum, your figure has a much better mustache too than Hangman Page does. Uh, so and bring see. back you know from the fifties up through the yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> it looks good. well. Yeah, I thought that was Magnum. Who was that they just put up? That was Ma yeah, right. <laughs> Hangman. I thought it was Magnum. God. Well, he's not he's not gray yet, so let's not knock him. <laughs> so let's, let's pump the brakes a little bit on yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, cool guy. Are you gonna come over here? Get your face in here. <laughs> she can pop on in if she wants to. She she's hiding now. She's mad. Yeah, that's okay. We'll make we'll save it. We'll, we'll All she'll right. give me whatever Perfect. she wants to though. So guys. Like it. Thank you for tuning in to Gagne and Magnum. Episode three is in the books. Magnum, Greg, it's awesome to speak with you guys again. And we'll have you too, Dominic. So, Pleasure. Awesome. Nice job. Thank you very much. You're very welcome, guys. And we'll see you next time here on Gagne and Magnum.